2: This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on. All things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day all right around the corner, BetOnline has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part, you'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. Happy to be here today because on today's podcast, we're going to dive into the latest in the Giants offseason front. With the first day of the combine interviews in the books, we'll start to see drills on Thursday. I'm excited for that. Not too excited because it's the combine. It's pretty overblown as far as the draft process goes, but it's fun. Nonetheless, it's football. There's some news. It's February. We're starting to feel it. You know, it's coming back in the air. Before we know it, it's going to be free agency and then the draft, all the probably the most fun, at least from a speculative standpoint, uh, that the offseason has to to offer. Um, But after we talk about that, we're going to dive into and tackle the 10 burning questions that we feel are facing the Giants during the 2020 offseason. Okay, Nick, let's start before we get there. Let's start by talking about today at the Combine for the New York Giants. Uh, For starters, Nick, both head coach Joe Judge and general manager Dave Gettleman were scheduled to speak, and they did. This past offseason, Gettleman told us, told the fans, told the people in his exit, uh, I wouldn't call it an exit interview, and kind of the presser where he said he was coming back, he told us he wanted to change a few things about the last offseason season, and one of those was more appearances, more talking to the media, kind of like today, Nick. But I felt, honestly, as if he said less today than at any point during the last two combines. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing especially because there are certainly concerns. The Giants tipped their interest in Daniel Jones and then in Saquon Barkley in the past two pre-draft processes and periods. But let's break down the key moments because, again, didn't feel like we gleaned too much, Nick, but let's see what we can dig out of what we heard today. And let's start with Joe Judge. Obviously, this is probably the buzziest thing, and it's not even really about what he said. It's about what he didn't say. And he didn't provide any positive, fluffy sound bites on Daniel Jones, leading to the beat writers who needed those fluffy, positive quotes. Trust me, I've been in their position. You know, they didn't get those quotes. They didn't get the story. So there's a little panic there. But don't worry for them because the beat writers did eventually land some storylines about the New York Giants, a team who has the same GM who used the number six pick on that quarterback, who same quarterback who took over in week three as a rookie. But these articles, we've seen, we're seeing some spin now, Nick, about can the Giants <laughs> trade said player? Uh, and that's Daniel Jones. So, Nick, what did you make a Judge's decision, what he said, the possibility of trading Daniel Jones? Where are you at?
2: Yeah, all that's clickbait, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Don't pay any attention to that. Joe Judge doesn't want to go in there and talk about this team and then just gush over a quarterback that he hasn't worked with yet. And it's not because he doubts him. It's because if he does that with Daniel Jones and then... All those other beat writers will start asking about Golden Tate and all these other players that are on the roster, and he doesn't want to give evaluations on those players either because he'll feel like he's obligated to since he already broke down Daniel Jones. So there's just no reason to go in it, say, hey, we're going in with a clean slate and just be that stern kind of leader, that individual that he's shown that he's been so far as the New York Giants head coach. So just do not read into that. Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the fucking New York Giants. But I saw the, I saw the, the tweets and all that stuff start popping up with the beat writers. And I was like, ah, oh, geez, here we go again. This is all clickbait.
1: Yeah. I don't want to go too far. I'm not going to use word clickbait and trash them. These writers, uh, you know, I've been in a position where I've covered this, this beat, this team. I understand where I don't want to say I understand, you know, where they're coming from, but I do. And you know, it, is basically, you know, it. There are storylines. You need storylines for this to cover this team twenty four seven. It's a it's a rabid fan base. It's a rabid industry. And you know, if you don't get the soundbite that you know Joe Judge coming out and saying I took this job because of Daniel Jones, if you're not going to get that, you can't do the positive fluff stuff. Got to dig. You got to dig somewhere. And that's kind of where we landed. But uh, at least today it seems. But you know. I think I made my point clear when I kind of broke down the fact that we have the same GM in here, as New York Giants have the same GM in here that drafted Daniel Jones at number six overall, who got highly criticized for drafting him at number six overall, who said he had a conviction, and a guy who fell in love, fell in full bloom in love with a player. That sounds like a player who's going to get traded to you. It certainly doesn't sound like a player who's going to get traded to me. Now, as for what Joe Judge did say, I got to be honest, I kind of liked it because this is really what it's all about. There are no more scholarship players on this team. He doesn't want to talk up Daniel Jones or talk up Saquon Barkley or talk up Evan Ingram for the next few months so when they get in, people in the locker room are like, okay, Evan Ingram's a focal point of this franchise, okay, blah, 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 blah. That has to be earned. That's what he's trying to preach. He wants everyone to come in with a slate that says, listen, let's not talk about what happened last year. Don't talk about what happened two years ago or even a year before that. This is about now. This is about moving forward And really, it's about accepting that, you know, you don't want to embrace the sunk cost fallacy. You don't want to, you know, what happened in the past should not affect what will happen in the future for this football team. Now, it's easier to preach now before you get back in the building because Saquon Barkley has been marketed by the league and marketed by the Giants. He's he's hanging from a poster at the Combine with Patrick Mahomes this year. So, I mean, this is not somebody who's really on an even slate. Let's be honest, he's above that. But at the same time, I like what Judge is preaching. I like that I saw on social media a little bit earlier today before we started recording, Nick, a little video of Evan Ingram. They just He just went on a trip with Ingram, Jones, Shepard, and Barkley, little four-man hang. They were, I think, somewhere Barcelona, I think it was. Pretty sure. Awesome. Good for them. Happy to see that little bonding in the offseason. Those are the type of things that you know he'll be happy to see, Judge. Obviously, he wants people to come in into relationships, and he wants a positive cultured locker room. That's for sure. But what he doesn't want is players coming in, looking up, and having to climb their way up. There is no climb. It's just going to be about the best players and the players who are the most focused on helping them win. So to me, I like what I heard. But there's other news, and it revolves around Dave Gedelman, the general manager, who seemed to have mixed feelings, Nick, about the potential of trading the number four pick in the draft. Although, Nick, it can probably be viewed as progress that he said— The team is open for business at pick four, especially considering Gettleman appeared to do the exact opposite in the 2018 pre-draft process and during the 2018 draft where he literally turned in the Barkley draft card in exactly five after five minutes only because the NFL told him and would allow him to turn it in right away when they were on the clock. But on the other hand, Gettleman did caution that trading back, especially Trading back too far can haunt you. He referenced other decision makers who have regretted trading back in the past. He didn't provide any examples, but we'll have to take him his word on that. And listen, I'm sure he's right. I think there's examples on both sides of that because there's also examples like last draft where the Seattle Seahawks, you know, traded back from the number 21 pick, eventually landed DK Metcalf with one of those picks, who ended up being a better value than what they would have got with that one pick in the first round, plus netted several other picks. Um. So, I mean, there's, there's arguments on both sides there, Nick, but what did you make specifically of what Dave Gettleman said? And where does that leave you thinking on the, where does that leave you thinking now from a standpoint of, do you think there's a chance they're going to actually trade this pick or probably stay there and take the guy at four?
2: Well, we know that Dave Gettleman kind of falls in love with his players and we've seen it happen before. You just referenced the Saquon Barkley from a few years ago. So Staying put is, I would say, the more likely scenario. But the exact quote that he used was, whatever we do is going to be in our best interest. Trading back has danger. We're at fall. What happens if we trade back to eight? There's only four players that we like. What if they're all gone? Now what are you going to do? Trade back again? You could trade yourself back out of good players. I believe that Gettleman and the Giants scouting scouting staff will have – more players in this draft that they have ranked higher than just four players at that point. So, because what I feel, where I feel the Giants would trade is those three picks that are directly behind them. The Dolphins, the Panthers, or the, um, the Dolphins, uh, the Panthers, and
1: the uh, Falcons. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so I'm sorry. Dolphins, Panthers, and, and who'd you say?
2: Uh, Chargers, and the, or the Falcons who were yeah. a little bit behind that as well. But, uh, so I believe they would stay in that top 10 range. So I... Don't feel like Dave Gettleman and that scouting staff will have a player because I believe guys like Makai Beck and Tristan Worst will still be around at that time. And I feel like the Giants, who knows what, how they're going to view those players, but those are solid football players, solid options for the New York Giants. So I think it is a possibility that they will trade back. I don't think they're looking to trade back into like the 20s or do anything crazy like that, though. But this is Dave Gettleman here, and if he has that high grade on Isaiah Simmons or that high grade on Jedrick Wills or whoever – He's probably going to sit tight and select him if he feels comfortable, unless there's a huge package that he just cannot turn away. And it's going to come down to the medicals of Tua, how people view Justin Herbert, a lot of variables that don't necessarily have to do with the giants to see if that actually comes to fruition.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting, Nick, because, you know, I think that for now, I think there's a much better chance than there has been in the first two years of this thing with Gettleman of trading back. I really am starting to feel like there's a solid chance. Now, if they do trade back, I don't think they trade back any further than five, six, seven, eight range, which is what you referenced. I think you're spot on with that. And I think if they do trade back, it's because they've settled in on an offensive tackle and they can't, you know, differentiate differentiate between two or three of them, maybe something like that. This would obviously mean, you know, they don't fall in love with any of those four, which is possible. Ver vis-a-vis, if they do, you know, fall in love with the defensive players, say that is Isaiah Simmons or Jeffrey Okuda. Um, obviously, we don't think Chase Young will be there. But let's say it's Okuda or Simmons. I don't think they'll trade back. So really, I think it depends on the direction they're going to go with this pick. And they know what their options are. I don't think they're stupid. And I don't think that they're thinking outside the box either here. I don't think a wide receiver is in play. I think it's really going to be one of these OTs or it's going to be Akuda or Simmons or potentially another guy. If they really love one of these guys that some people, you know, say chase on from, from LSU, but he, he's really inconsistent and was really inconsistent at the college level bad at times when he should have been really good. So I don't think he creeps in and I don't really see anyone else on that defensive side of the ball creeping in. Um, Again, I don't see him going after a Derek Brown and interior guy. So for me, it really comes down to that. If they're going to go for one of these offensive tackles, they might trade back. Now I do want to, Read off some quotes that gave me kind of the lean Nick towards thinking, okay, maybe it is more 50-50 than I thought. And first I want to credit uh, these quotes because they're from uh, Ed Valentine, of big blue view. I'm obviously not at the combine covering the Giants, So obviously I'm going to be giving credit when credit's due. And he got these quotes. So the first one is from Gettleman and just listen to it. Uh, There's a lot, there's some really good players in this draft. There are a lot of highly graded players in this draft. So if there's a lot of highly graded players that would seem to be, Nick, that maybe there's more than four, maybe there's more than five, six, and maybe there's seven or eight, and then you can start to see a potential trade. He said, we're all creatures of what we've done, all of our experiences. We have tried to trade. I've tried to trade back, but the value wasn't there. And there was a player there that we really liked. I've seen teams trade themselves away from really good players. And maybe while it hasn't scarred me, I've seen what it's done to those teams. And that's just something I have in my head. So there's a little bit of negative, a little pushback towards not trading. But then he said, yes. According to Ed Valentine, he simply said yes when asked if the quality at the top of this draft class might make him more inclined to listen to offers. And remember, a yes from Gentleman, a straight up yes from Gentleman. Is like the truth. I mean, this guy didn't lie when asked about Barkley. He didn't lie when asked about Daniel Jones. He's not lying. He's like telling the truth. I don't think it's a good idea, but he tells the truth a lot during this process, this pre-draft process. Um, You know, didn't, didn't hold his tongue with Barkley or Jones. So that's a simple yes. And then he said, I've said this before with you guys. The ideal situation is when value meets need. That's your ideal situation. So maybe in this draft class, the value of trading back will meet the need or whatever that means nick but i digress again like i said more optimism than i've had at any point right now the giants could actually trade back
2: and i also think i also think the leonard williams trade the losing of a high value pick in early third i think that plays into this i think Gettleman kind of knows that that might have been a reach at that point and he might need to try to recoup some of these draft picks despite the Giants probably getting the third round comp Borland and Collins because you could have had two and if that opportunity and like you said if he has those tackles all in a similar grade and he can get them just from moving back a couple spots I can totally see Gettleman doing that even though he hasn't done it in the past
1: yeah no doubt and that's a great point Nick the uh, the loss of that pick that's a great point point. one thing that just popped in my head when you said that Nick is I feel like it's a little bit of a dangerous game like to move back and that's so let's say you're like Gettleman you're moving back from four to eight once you do that, you're kind of signaling that you want one of these tackles, and it kind of opens other teams up to trading above you, seven or six maybe for a tackle. But honestly, the more you know, that's one concern. But there's so many tackles. If there's really are those four tackles, they're in good shape there with plenty, you know, of supply. And also, I really don't feel like the teams are going to trade up for a tackle. They're more likely to trade up for a quarterback, Love Herbert, depending on who um, Tua. We I at least expect will be the third pick via trade, but we'll see what happens there. I'm really hoping. The Lions fall in love with a the player there, um, and take a player there and Tua stays on the board at four. That's really when the Giants might start hearing like really good offers coming in.
2: Really if, good offers. If that were the case, that would be so excellent for the New York Giants because the whole like the trade value chart's one thing, but the fact that you can leverage at least three teams against each other. For a package that would exceed anything on that trade value chart, and the Giants could come away with just a massive haul, and that would be obviously amazing for all of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best case scenario for this team to and on the board at four, because uh, I really do think some good calls will come in as long as you know Gettleman will feel them. So, Nick, what did you also make of Gettleman's comments? His kind of crystal ball prediction that the best edge pass rushers who were expecting to hit free agency will actually be franchise tagged and not hit the market. What did you make of those comments? What do you think that says, does that hint or foreshadow anything in the future regarding the giants pursuit of edge rushers in free agency or the draft?
2: Yeah, I, uh, that makes me feel like the giants may look at some of these veteran edge guys who will be in free agency guys like Marcus golden, maybe even uh, re-signing him, something like that. But I, uh, we have kind of said this on this podcast. We thought Yannick Ngakwe would get franchise tagged. The one guy who might be available might be someone like Jadavian Clowney. Would the Giants go in that direction, though? So I think it might – it's going to put such a precedent on these on these edge players that are already on this roster to develop, but that was already there anyways. So – I think it's going to lead to veteran. Uh, the Giants looking at veteran pass rushers and maybe really hoping that if these guys aren't franchise tagged or if some of them hope to sit out, maybe the Giants could acquire him them in some means. I don't think the Giants are going to look to trade or anything like that. So, and I look at the, the draft prospects outside of Chase Young. You got Chase Young. I mean, he like you said earlier, he's very very raw. And then you got guys later on, Bradley and Nyes and players like that. Uh, Zach Bond, who's who could play off ball, he can also play edge. And the more picks that you have, you can probably you know maybe draft some of those players and help develop them. But it's not a great thing for the Giants with all this cap space and the fact that this top-end pass rushers will not be available. That's obviously not a desirable thing for the New York Giants. It's not what we were hoping for because the Giants – as Giants fans, we were all hoping to kind of land that pass rusher that can complement all these other guys who are on this roster.
1: Yeah, Nick, for me, it's less disappointing because I didn't expect the Giants to land – Uh, top pass rushers. There really are very few that ever hit the open market. And as Gettleman said, the the best ones will be tagged. You'll be left with a bidding war style situation for like the one Olivier Vernon of the the free agent class. We've seen this countless times again, once with the Giants, with Vernon. Plenty of other teams have experienced this as well. They got in a bidding war for the one good edge or the supposed good edge that hits that year. This year, it seems like it's going to be clowny. Um, And it just doesn't seem to have worked out now. You leverage that against the fact that, hey, listen, this is a one edge draft by most people's evaluations, you don't get young and there's really not an edge worth a top five pick. Now, I think there's some intriguing options who will be there at the end of round one bond for starters. There's a few others I got my eye on, but you know, the point is I don't really see, I don't see anything Gettleman said being wrong. And I don't think that what, and I think what he's saying is we may have to be a little patient at the edge position. It's, it's, it's not the easiest to just poof, Snap your fingers and fill, especially in this specific offseason with this specific free agent and draft class. Once the guys are get, who we expect to get tagged, we'll get tagged. Uh, but, Nick, let's move on to some other news here. And per Ralph Acciano of SNY, he reports that when the Giants do, if the Giants do and when they do decide to tag free uh, franchise tag or transition tag Leonard Williams as a defensive tackle and not a defensive end, his team will lobby the NFL to get that defensive end tag. What do you make of this report?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't love it because defensive tackles obviously come in a lot cheaper than a defensive end franchise tag would. So, Leonard Williams, who is one of those interchangeable, he's 300-plus pounds, he had one sack on this season. That's not necessarily a defensive end, and he's— plays one technique he plays zero sometimes he plays five he plays on the edge he's very very versatile in that way but if you're gonna pay him top five edge type of contract top five because that's what that's how they aggregate the the franchise tag they take the top five and they aggregate that that's gonna be a lot of freaking money and I don't know if that would be uh, I mean it's only a one-year thing but he's more of a defensive tackle he's more of an interior defensive lineman so the Giants would just be in a really sticky situation. And as Gettleman said earlier, he said he's going to get killed. if He told the media he's going to get killed if he doesn't re-sign Leonard Williams. He actually said that, and that puts this unwanted uh, need to re-sign him and not just kind of uh, accept it as a sunken cost if he does end up walking. And I've been open about I think Leonard Williams is a very talented player, but I don't really want him making a, an assload of money, and I just think that his camp has all the leverage here so they can do this.
1: Yeah, I think I'm in a little bit of a different boat there than you, Nick, because first of all, I don't even know if he would win this. I think they'd probably say he's an, he's an interior guy a tackle. But even if they did, I'm not really worried about an investment for next season because the Giants are going to be in such a luxurious salary cap spot. There's just no yeah. way. It's just the way free agency and the offseason works. There's no way they're going to ever be anywhere but like 25, thirty. To 30 million under the cap in my estimation, especially if they do sign these long-term deals because the way they structure these deals is for the first year never has a major cap hit on these new deals you look at Sterling Shepherd's contract and really any of the big contracts the giants have signed over the last three four, five however many years they're structured in a way where the cap hit is usually for the most part I've almost never seen it not uh, smaller in the first year. So with that said, you know a few extra million against the cap and obviously guaranteed whatever. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt. But a few extra million against the cap this year is not that big of a deal. More importantly, I think he does make a major impact on this defense that's not always seen in the box score, and you definitely need him back for next season. So I would rather pay him the extra money and not have to commit to a long-term deal uh, and make him prove it. But we'll see where they go there, Nick. Um, any any other comments on that before we move on to a little non-New York Giants news?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you articulated yourself well with that because I would like for uh Leonard Williams to be on the roster as well it's just it's just one of those it's a pickle between his camp and the Giants and it's just it's not a great look
1: no no doubt no Uh, doubt Uh, it is what it is they put themselves in the position by inexplicably trading for him last I mean Jesus, they could walk into this offseason, get the first damn meeting with Leonard Williams, and give him a big contract, bigger often than anyone's going to give him, and say, listen, you don't got to move your family. You can stay in your apartment. You don't have to move anywhere. You're coming across. You're going from the Jets to the Giants. They could have done all this, and they would have had that top 70 draft pick that they can use on a just unbelievable amount of talent in the top 75 of this class. But, nope, they didn't, and we're left here, and they got to— it, it it's not a sunk cost thing to me because I think he's a really big impact defender and I don't think they're going to find one like him uh, on the free agent market. So I do believe he should be resigned. We'll see where it goes there. But the last, before we move on to the 10 burning questions, Nick, um, let, I wanted to know if you caught a little non-Giants news from today's combine <laughs> that's the Baker Mayfield hot mic incident. Did you hear anything about that?
2: Yeah, I believe I did hear a little bit about that. I heard a uh, good old, Uh, Tony Grassi, who's a later.
1: Allegedly.
2: Yeah, allegedly.
1: Sure, I don't know for sure if it was Tony Grassi. I think, we think it was him, allegedly.
2: Oh, I thought thought that was confirmed.
1: I don't know if it was confirmed. I think we're best off saying allegedly.
2: Okay, we'll say allegedly, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen. But yeah, so he allegedly called Baker Mayfield a slur for very, very short people. That starts with an M and rhymes with Bridget. Yeah, and uh, it got caught on air. So if, yeah. if you ever do live radio or anything that is live, you probably shouldn't say anything derogatory or offensive next to a live mic because it's uh, yeah, so a way to get suspended. A little
1: more context on this, a little more context on this. So Grassi has had his run-ins, I think, Nick, with, with yes. Speaker Mayfield in the past and with several Browns players and Browns media, whatever. He does a radio show. He's ESPN's. Uh, reporter for the team, which is an awesome job to have, something I wouldn't want him to lose. I'm hoping this doesn't lead to him getting fired. I am that would a very, very, very big believer that outrage culture in this country sucks. Unfortunately, I'm not that into it. Sorry. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I won't get into that, but I hope this doesn't lead to that. Having said that, it sucks, because it might, and if it does, it's not totally out of character for ESPN or any company to move on from somebody, because what actually happened was... He was doing a radio show. He thought his mic was off. It wasn't. Someone caught him with a hot mic saying, oh, my God, this kid Joe Burrow is awesome. We just we missed on Joe Burrow. This guy's you know, he's a Browns reporter. We missed on Burrow. Who did we miss on you before? Mahomes. Blah, blah, blah. He's going over all the quarterbacks we missed. And what do we got? We got a fucking, we got an effing midget, he says. Speaking of, Baker Mayfield the six-foot quarterback. So a little, a little bit more context there. And you guys can make what you want of it. But, you know, a disappointing moment for him, I'm sure. And it's probably going to lead to... Some, some repercussions, but I thought it was one of the crazier things to happen from today's Combine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely uh, check your microphones there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Got to check them. All right, now we'll dive into the 10 burning questions facing the New York Giants during the 2020 offseason. A couple qualifiers before we dive right in. For starters, this list is in no order. They're all important, and they all need to be answered by this franchise. In addition to that, this list is a combination of the Nick and Dan brain trust crafted separately. So you get a little bit about what both of us are thinking. So let's dive right in. Nick, get us started. What's the first question? All right,
2: question one. Do the Giants have a defensive player currently on the roster who can serve as a consistent playmaker?
1: This is, in my opinion, Nick, top three. If we were going to rank these burning questions, one, two, because this kind of comes back to why I'm leaning Simmons with the fourth picnic or, you know, leaning toward going out there and getting a player like, I don't know, Byron Jones. And I really don't even consider a defensive playmaker more just an awesome defensive boundary corner who doesn't let anything come his way. But like they need to me, they need a playmaker either it has to be at the second level or the deep half with at the safety position or, you know, strong safety where they got to hope that somebody like Peppers comes into that role or, you know, off the edge. So to me, getting a guy like Jones, who I feel is probably the best actual overall player on the street agent market, all things considered, age, injury concerns, he's only missed one game, I think, in his whole career, he's 26. I don't know if he's that playmaker. And if he's not that playmaker, that's kind of why I lean towards Simmons. So if I'm asked this question, Nick, I'm going to say that the answer, unfortunately, is no. Where do you stand here?
2: I agree with you, with the um, caveat, I guess, that these players, like Jabril Peppers, plays a very important role for the defense. But again, he's—I l- don't want to say he's limited, but like he's not going to be that deep half guy that we've been kind of just pontificating about for the last three months. But as that alley defender, he's very, very effective. So in the run support aspect, he definitely brings that. And from a leadership
1: standpoint, you look well, let at let ask you this, Nick, before you go on, because. I think that he would be one of the guys that comes to mind for me as the guy who has the best chance, one of the guys who has the best chance. But let me ask you this. I I don't think that to be a consistent defensive playmaker, you have to necessarily be a deep half guy. How about like a Tyron Matthew? You know what I mean? There's plenty of guys in a similar role to Peppers who have more of that game changing ability and consistent playmaking. Can he be one of those?
2: If he could stay healthy, I think he could be. I think there's upside there for him to be. I think Dexter Lawrence definitely has that upside as well, as does even Dalvin Tomlinson. It's just those guys are, not uh, they, they, they can get pressure, but that's not their main thing. They're more stout against the run. And then I look at Deon, uh, DeAndre Baker. I think if you add someone like Jones in free agency, that's just going to maximize Baker. He's not going to be on number ones, and then he can kind of continue to develop in this more simplified defense. So if you're talking about Isaiah Simmons type of, uh, players, if you're talking about Derwin James type players, I would say no, but I think there are just a lot of just core pieces here that all together can formulate a defense where it's it can be good in a couple of years.
1: Well, to me, defenses can be good. It can be good as soon as next year. I'm not a big believer that it takes all these years, blah, blah, blah. Things change fast in the NFL, but that's not the question really that I'm asking. To me, the burning question is simply, do they have any consistent playmakers like the Derwin James that you're talking about? You know, guys who can change the games with big plays on third downs. Now, I think Byron Jones – if you're saying DeAndre Baker can beat someone like that, and obviously that kind of goes back to the whole Byron Jones boundary cornerback role. Yeah, those guys can make big pass breakups or interceptions um, on key downs, but I don't think they can impact the game maybe as much as an edge or a really, really good inside backer or a really, really good safety like a Derwin yeah. James, a Keekley, those type of guys. And I guess the question becomes, Nick – if you think that you know, all, you know, you're mentioning guys like Dexter Lawrence. who I actually think does get much better pressure than people realize. As I've been going back, I've been trying to start to watch. Me and Nick are both trying to. We're, we're in the early stages. There's still a lot of work to go, but we're both rewatching some all 22 on the Giants. And for me, some things I've noticed are just Dexter Lawrence is pushing the pocket a lot more than people realize. But you know, I'm not when you when you mention some like Dalvin Tomlinson, it kind of goes away for me from the question, which leads me more to. A two-part question here, Nick, and I'll kind of throw it back on you. Do you think that a defense like the Giants or any defense needs a consistent playmaker? Because when you start to talk about guys like Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence and, you know, even Peppers doing his role, it kind of sways away from really where I was directing the question. So that's kind of the second thing I would ask you.
2: I think – uh just if the giants were to get that pass rusher that we've been talking about that would really help and that could be that really consistent player that you're kind of alluding to somebody like that but i do feel like adding someone like that or isaiah simmons i know he's not an edge rusher but somebody who can be that just pure always reliable always consistent rarely makes a mistake kind of player because i i don't believe that it that that Player is necessarily on the roster right now, but a lot of these players, I feel like, have the upside to maybe they can become that player. Does that make I sense?
1: Don't I don't know if you're dodging the question on me, Nick. So let me ask it again, different way. Let's see if we can get there, Nick. Do you think that? Now I'm not asking you, if you who you think can become one. Do you think that a defense, the Giants defense, whatever it may be, needs a consistent playmaker to be successful? Do you believe that's important for a defense? I I do believe that's important. Okay. Yes. Okay. So we're on the same page there. That's all I want to get to because if you believe that and I do too then to me, that's kind of why it pulls me back in and it leads me to someone like Isaiah Simmons, who I believe can become that defensive playmaker. I think this defense desperately needs it, something it really, really didn't have. The biggest playmaker they had was Golden on these third downs and on these key down situations where they need to make big stops. And to me, that's not enough. Um, So I'm glad we're on the same page there. Not that we always have to be, but I did want to see – and it really does seem like we're both on the same page there. Now, I mean, the second part of that question and how they have to answer that is if they don't feel like one's currently on the roster, and they might, how do they get one? And that's, you know, something that they can tackle in this offseason potentially. And that's kind of where, you know, I roll back around and I look at free agency and I look at the draft and I see how to, what's their best path towards there.
2: Yeah, and that makes it just that much more interesting, too, with the tradeback scenario, because if Gettleman does view Isaiah Simmons kind of like you do, and even I do. I mean, I, I do think other options are available that I would not be disappointed in, but I yeah. do view him very in a very, very high regard. It's does Gettleman just stay put, or will he even try to trade back to, say, seven or something like that and risk losing him? And I think that just uh, makes the whole draft drama just that much more interesting. But next question. In the context of Jason Garrett's system, which Giants skill player is most important for Daniel Jones' development?
1: I love this question. This was a Nick special. Um, So this is really interesting for me. If they had, um, let's say, I don't know, a Mekhi Backton on this roster, I'm going to say I really That's how strongly I believe in offensive line. But they don't. And I'm not going to say Will Hernandez yet, especially not after last season, and he's a guard. What I'm going to say here for me, Nick, is going to be Darius Slayton. I do believe that Darius Slayton is the most important player for Daniel Jones' development. One, for starters, because I'm putting it in the context of Jason Garrett's system. And from what he's shown, the Coriel concepts, Slayton, to me, just feels like the perfect match for him in this system. He's lying. He's explosive. He's a really good route runner getting separation at at the top of his routes. He's really good in the intermediate range. As I watched, a lot of Daniel Jones recently, he's really finding Slayton on a lot of connections in that intermediate range. I saw every single catch in one video from Slayton's rookie season, and that's really where I thought he found the best success and created a lot of that separation and made a lot of his plays. So in that sense, I like Slayton. In the other sense is these guys have been working for a long time. They've already developed a rapport. And I think where that rapport goes, kind of like how the Eli and Odell rapport, which is completely misreported by the media was one of the best connections in the NFL from 2014 through 2017. Odell, Eli to Odell was literally an elite connection, as good as Breeze to Thomas, as good as anything you could find. If you look up numbers, just look them up. And obviously everybody, you know, some people give all the credit to Odell for that. It's lackable. But the point is, at least to me, especially considering how bad he did with Baker, but I digress. The point is, The sky is the ceiling for a potential connection with Jones and Slayton for me, Nick, because they started in May, a day after that rookie minicamp, working extra 45 minutes after practice. They've continued on. They showed awesome rapport to start. And if that gets to a certain elite level, that's when this passing offense takes another step forward. And that's where Daniel Jones' development for me takes another step forward. Where would you go with this?
2: I really like the fact that you went with Slayton, and I considered this with Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. I all feel like they're all very valuable, but I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley and that running game, because I do feel like if in this Jason Garrett power gap, a lot of that those kind of running schemes, I feel like if there's a strong running game, something that Daniel Jones is not used to having, that could just bring the most out of the play action game and then maximize each of those players that I named in the beginning Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and Darius Slayton. So I think uh, Saquon Barkley can really bring the most out of this if he's right, if this running game can get right, and that also is contingent on the offensive line. So there's a lot of things that kind of go into it. But yeah, if, if the Giants offense can click on all those cylinders, that can, that's just going to maximize every skill position player on that team.
1: No doubt. Yeah.
2: Given their recent investments in the position, can the Giants get away without making any major cornerback investments this offseason?
1: This is an interesting one because they did recently, you know, invest in a first rounder who they traded up for, DeAndre Baker. Um, A fourth rounder, early fourth round, the Giants had one of the first picks in the fourth round. Julian Love, who they like a lot. They used an early third supplemental pick, which resulted in losing an early third for Sam Beal. And Corey Ballantyne is a player who was drafted in the sixth round, but the Giants really liked and even saw some action in the first round. So there's a core four young corners on this team who, if they all did take that step, the Giants wouldn't even need to address the position at all this offseason. Now, can the Giants get away without making a major cornerback investment this offseason? To answer that question, honestly, I would say no, because they've already seemed to kind of convert Julian Love into more of a safety. Ballantyne looked a little overmatched at the next level. Buell hasn't shown enough to me. And while I think Baker will take a step, I think he's better off taking a step in that number two cornerback role. So now the question becomes, how do they fix that? Because they have a lot of things they have to fix. Akuda would fix it if they get him from everything I'm reading. People love him. I'm, I'm not quite there yet because I'm just so hesitant at that cornerback position in the top five. But if you don't go there... I think that's when you have to turn your options to free agency, where there are a couple good corners on the market, and that's kind of where I think, okay, you got a 26-year-old Byron Jones about to hit the market. Pay him the money. Make him the highest-paid corner in the NFL and get him on this team, and that's kind of why he's one of my, if not my top targets this this offseason in free agency. How about you, Nick?
2: I actually 100% agree with you, and I do believe Byron Jones is one of my top ones as well, especially with the fact that a lot of these edge prospects are going to be locked up, according to get Dave Gettleman. So I think it's it's imperative to add a, somebody to help that cornerback room, and I know that's weird to, to think about because Sam Beal— invested that third round pick in the supplementary draft for him. He's been dinged up and he just hasn't shown that yet. And then you're really just putting everything on DeAndre Baker, who had an up and down year. And I feel, I still have a lot of promise for Baker. But if he gets injured, what are you, what are you looking at right now? Corey Ballantyne and Sam Beal, who's another off injured guy. And I, I just feel like there's so much youth there and you need to kind of add somebody that these players can look up to somebody who is very solid. And I think Byron Jones is that player. That, that's the kind of guy that you need to look for. And there's other guys who will be available. I mean, Prince of Moore was just cut. You got guys like Bradley Roby, Logan Ryan, uh, to, to name some. I know Chris Harris is available. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm as big on him as a lot of other people are, but th- there are some options out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think that's kind of the issue with it, Nick. I think it's kind of a one-man market with Byron Jones. You could, Chris Harris is a great player, even though, obviously, he's older. He's still a great player. But he's a slot guy, and he was best in the slot. He's played outside, but he's best in the slot. Norman's Wash. Logan Ryan, another slot guy, this is not what the Giants need, they need a boundary guy. Bradley Roby's a little bit intriguing that I'm not that intrigued. So if it's a one-man class and you get into bidding war, I'm fine going in that direction personally and making him the highest paid corner. But I just just so you know, a lot of other teams are going to be fine with that too, because he's a 26-year-old who's missed only one game in his career. So it's tough. It, it leads you back to this whole process. and And later, I'll kind of give another concern there, and it has to do with them missing out on another position. But... Before we get there, let, let's just leave it at that. I mean, the point is it's going to be a very contested market, Nick, and I think it's easier said than done, at least is that, if that hopefully makes it a little clearer.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I want to ask you the same question, only with the offensive line. Do you think the Giants can get away it, without making any uh, major offensive line investments this offseason?
1: So this is where I guess I kind of – I won't say disagree with the masses, but let's look at the reality situation. They're not going to find an edge, a number one corner, a deep half safety, an inside linebacker, an offensive tackle, a right tackle, a left tackle, and a center, and a receiver, to boot, let's just throw in, in one offseason. They're going to have to give up on some of these. It's all about what's the best thing to give up on now based on the need, uh, based, I'm sorry, the value of the position and the need of what's important. And for, as far as the need of importance goes, for me, the offensive line is further down the list. Than deep half safety and number one corner. And even to some degree for me, and certainly edge and even to some degree inside backer. I don't, I don't like soldiers, obviously not the answer at left tackle, but they were kind of fine with, with Remmers. And, and if you break these guys down individually, they weren't great. Um, Hernandez struggled last year. Solder Remmers at times they were over, you know, Jalapio struggled with power and strength at the, at the pivot. And obviously there was a solid player, but as a whole, they really weren't bad. Jones, had decent amount of time most of the time. Um, you know, it wasn't great, but it was kind of better than some of what you saw from teams who would pick on the cornerback situation for the Giants, or teams who would pick on the deep half roll and throw balls over the top that seemed to go, or even at inside backer, matchups with Ogletree and coverage. Um, so when you kind of break it down from that standpoint, I think it's kind of like, they're all concerns, they're all major holes and weaknesses for me, Nick, but I think it's like, The best of the worst is kind of how I would describe it. Where do you stand?
2: Yeah, it depends on what you consider a major investment. I I feel the Giants should try to draft a center uh, high in this draft. Again, it depends. Is Cushionberry going to be there at that second pick? Can you get Ishmael in the fourth round or something like that, the kid from San Diego State? Is that necessarily a huge investment if it's a day three pick? But I do feel like adding bodies to that offensive line at some point in this draft that has a lot of value, not just the seventh round, is something that should be important. And even if the Isaiah Simmons thing falls through, Jedrick Wills, Makai Beckton, whomever, Tristan Wirfs in the first round, I'm not opposed to that. So I would say yes, you could add. Um, I, I think they should if that opportunity presents itself.
1: And I mean, that's kind of where you factor in the potential you can make from trading back and getting more picks, still landing that offensive tackle, but then also taking a swing on a corner who you hope can Maybe, you know, have a no trans you know, an easy transition to the NFL, which we've seen before. Um, or, you know, the same thing goes for the deep half safety position if you go ahead and say fill a corner in free agency. So there's a lot of different routes here and a lot of different ways they can go about it.
2: Yeah, no doubt, man. OK, question five. Is there any reason the Giants shouldn't be among the biggest spenders in free agency? Can we trust Dave Gettleman if he's active in free agency?
1: So that's a two part question here, Nick. I, I like it. I'll start by saying No. There's no reason the Giants shouldn't be among the biggest spenders. I obviously have a pretty different view than some people on this because some people have been what I consider slaves to the salary cap narrative that they've, that, that they've heard. I used to be one of you, so it's not like I wasn't there at one point. I used to believe in the salary cap a lot more than I do now, especially now that I read today that um, they expect the cap to go up in the next two years by, I think, $30 million, which is going to be crazy. Um, the Giants' after cuts that we assume – are gonna have 86 million in cap space, a quarterback on a rookie deal for another four seasons, a running back on a rookie deal for another three seasons, and those are your two focal points, and hopefully Hernandez becomes one of them too. So now you have a guard for another couple seasons. They have all the reason to spend now. They're gonna have four top five in cap space with those qualifiers of not having to pay their quarterback or running back for you know focal point of the offense, Barkley, for a long time. It's time to spend now. They're gonna have no money invested in this defense. All these contracts are gonna be easy to get out of eventually in three years, four years max, if they don't work out, which they probably will. Um, or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say they probably will, but would you give yourself a better chance that they will if you get if you target the specific players who are coming off their rookie deals, obviously, and you know don't have as much of an injury history, things like that. But to me, there's no reason now, can we trust Dave Gettleman to be active in pre agency? Uh, um, no, I can't trust him, Nick, but I can hope, I can hope that he sees this clearly enough to know that he's in a position to be one of the biggest players in this free agency even if you know he's failed in the past and while it hasn't worked out in the past when he took his big swing on Nate Solder I don't hate the process there Solder was coming off a pretty solid year pretty strong year I think he was like a top 5 tackle from week 9 on in his last season with the Patriots obviously some of that had to do with playing in that Patriots system with Sarnacki as the offensive line coach we learned that since Um, And injuries have certainly played a role in soldiers demise injuries coupled with age and the simple, you know, reality of getting older in the NFL. But the fact of the matter is, if he targets the right guys, and I think they're pretty obvious to me, um, I think he can do a solid job uh, as one of the bigger players. How about you, Nick?
2: Yeah, see, I am. I think he will be active because I feel he just gets that fire on his ass right now. And that seat is really, really hot. And I think he knows, like, hey, I have a quarterback on his rookie deal. I have a running back who's getting paid, what, top $5 right now. But he's going to be getting paid so much more when his contract is up. Let me get this roster, this defense, back to championship level while I still have a freaking job. So I do feel like Dave Gettleman will be active now. Can we trust that he's going to do the right things? That, I could see where there is going to be a concern. There have been some contracts that haven't been as good, but I tend to agree with you. The Giants needed to upgrade on that tackle position after Eric Flowers. It had to happen. So that Nate Solder signing was, one of the, was kind of kind of necessity, and it wasn't necessarily Gettleman's fault that Jerry Reese left this team with shit. You know what I'm saying? So I think he will be active, and I think the Giants will be big spenders, and there's really no reason for them not to be since they have all this salary cap. Can the Giants make the offense work without a significant O-line upgrade, or does Garrett's arrival make it more vital to focus on upgrading there?
1: Yeah, I think this is, let's focus on the second half of this question, the first one we kind of already dove into, but I think the second half's important, and that's, what does Garrett's arrival mean? Based on what we know in the past, Garrett's offenses need good offensive lines. They perform better with good offensive, especially, specifically, with good pass production, and with, you know, linemen who can, I think in general, running more power and gap concepts is something that will help make an offensive line look better in the run game, personally, especially this specific offensive line that struggled a bit with the inside zone scheme that Shermer tried to put in there. So I think that is kind of a plus there. But as far as the pass protection goes, it does make me start to lean. It's why I keep going back and forth, Nick, with with, with, this, offense, with this debate at number four, because they really do need an upgrade. And But, but the question for me comes, comes to this, Nick. If you take a guy like this, you're going to, Soldier's not, I don't think Soldier's going to be able, he's going to, he could try to kick over to right tackle, but I think that could be even worse. So if you're going to take a guy here and it's not Worfs who played, or I'm sorry, Wills who played uh, right tackle or Worfs who played right tackle, even though some be- people believe he has that slide into, Right guard. It's going to be a tough transition for any of these top rookies, Nick, to try to play right tackle. It just is. That's how it goes. It's much tougher than it looks to flip sides. It's not really a thing. You get used to certain technique playing on the left or right side. So it comes a question for me, Nick, of, yes, I believe it's important for this offense going to Garrett, but how does it happen? And, like, if it's not going to happen, if you're going to burn one of these – not burn. If you're going to use one of these picks on a tackle who needs time to develop into an automatic upgrade and a big upgrade – you're also missing out then if you could have got someone like Simmons who's immediately making plays week after week, third down after third down on your defense. And that's kind of where I, I land there, Nick.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the catch-22 when it comes to it. Uh, these young offensive tackles are going to need to develop. It's going to take time to get used to that speed and the power, the NFL going up against 30-year-old grown men. And that's that's the thing that's going to really uh, suck because you, you can go and draft these guys and they could – struggle as rookies and then you look at Isaiah Simmons as a rookie just absolutely dominating and it's just going to come down to where Dave Gettleman wants to go but like I already said I think the Giants need to try to upgrade this offensive line but do you want to do that to uh, and then lose out on someone like Simmons or maybe you can upgrade the offensive line later on in the draft so there's so many different variables so many different things that can happen there it's going to be it's going to be really interesting uh, so buckle up Giants fans gonna be really interesting offseason
1: yeah, and before we move on, we're in lockstep about that, Nick. We both agree they yeah, need to address yeah. the offensive line either in free agency and the draft or just in the draft but in multiple spots like you know, with that fourth and with that fifth or with that late third and with that fifth, something like that. they got to start bringing in guys that they can develop and put in a system for a couple years to try to get better.
2: I, I 100% agree. Now, speaking of the offensive line, Dan – Do you believe Will Hernandez can take that leap forward in year three? And to me, this is kind of a make-or-break year for this player and become an anchor on this line and maybe even the best offensive lineman on the Giants.
1: It's a good question because, like you said, it's a very make-or-break year. After a really good first rookie season, uh, Hernandez regressed mightily in year two, and it's tough to see why. Part of it maybe plays into the fact that he had Nate Soldier, who regressed considerably on his left. And, you know, an overpowered John Halapio or Spencer Pulley on his right at center. But he is, was not brought in here to be anything but a 10-year starter and potentially an anchor the best player on that line. I think that he has a really good chance, Nick, to have a year this season, and I'm very excited about this, that will erase everything we saw in 2019 because – He's moving back to what he's most comfortable with. He's moving back to what he did best at UTEP, to what he did almost exclusively at UTEP. He's moving back to an offense that's run game is focused on more gap and power concepts we've seen in the past. We've mentioned on multiple podcasts, Nick, in the, in the past year and the year before that when I did this with Turchin, plays that we pointed out that on all 22, we said, oh, did you see that one, Nick? When Hernandez pulled and made the key block to seal a big Barkley run. So to me, this is it. He's going to come in focused. He's going to come in in awesome shape, hopefully healthy. And I think this will click for Hernandez in year three with obviously an upgrade, not an upgrade, but a change in the offensive blocking scheme. And if you put a guy like his on his left, or if you put a guy guy like Cushenberg at the pivot position starting their week one, it's only going to give him a better chance to realize and reach his ceiling.
2: I 100% agree. And I still think Zeitler might be... Uh, the best lineman at the end of this year. But I think Will Hernandez is in for a huge upgrade. And I think by the end of next season, if we're not like singing his praises, then it's going to be a real big problem because that might've been a wasted second round pick if he doesn't kind of show that progression here. So I think he's in for a huge year as well. What do they have, the New York Giants that is, in Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez outside of Betcher's system? And this is a two-part question. What does that mean for free agency and draft plans?
1: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what we talked about before with Gettleman and the edge guys, and it's, listen, there's some hope, there's some optimism, at least on my end, that Carter specifically is going to be much better in Graham's system than he was in Betcher's. I don't think the Betcher system was a good fit for him. I think he's the kind of guy you need to have more committed to, you know, in different lined up in different positions before the snap where his role is more defined as a pass rusher and, he is going forward as a pass rusher. He needs the reps, really is what it comes down to for me. He needs the reps. And that'll kind of give me a better idea of what we'll have in there. For me, I don't think you can bank on your off-season plans and free agency or draft on Carter or Ziminens. I think you need to use them as more of, lot not lottery picks, but more of your you know developmental players who are you're not counting on for big roles, um, at least not in 2020. And for me, part of that is because... I think Zimenens has a little bit of a limited skill set, not too limited. I think he's a solid player, could get better, um, has great motor. And, but as far as Carter, I think he's raw and he needs the reps. For me, it really comes down to that. He needs the reps as a specific pass rusher. Because while Ziminance has uh, came into the NFL with multiple moves, I feel like Carter, a lot of times when I watch around the edge, he'll win with that athleticism at times. But then there's times where he's just not setting up the offensive lineman right and he's not using, enough, he's not using the right move to get to the quarterback.
2: Yeah, I agree with that when it comes to Carter. I do feel – I mean he he played a lot as like the Leo uh, and then on the right side, the Rio, I guess you would call it, for uh, James Becher's scheme. So he was on the edge, but I don't feel like he was always just attacking downhill, and that's what I feel like he needs right. to do more of to kind of help develop. And yet his repertoire isn't as advanced as Zimenez, but I feel like Carter is just the better athlete, the fle- he's more flexible I don't want to necessarily say he's more explosive than Zaminas, because I do feel like Zamina has some solid explosiveness as well. But that's not the question. The question is how can these players really impact and what should it – how will it impact the free agency in the draft? I don't feel like it really should because I feel like you should view both these players as players that you're hoping will develop, but they're not quite there yet. So you need to kind of uh, draft that way and go after free agents that way as well because they haven't necessarily shown the consistent ability to – be the players that i feel dave gettleman hoped that they would be at this point
1: yep we're locked up there
2: yeah i know and I, I really hope lorenzo i was a big lorenzo Carter guy coming out of georgia so i really hope he takes that step but we'll see this season is that's another make or break year for for another player that i really liked coming out okay is there an answer at deep half safety on this roster if not is it worth passing on free agents at the position in this draft class
1: yeah, I mean, this is what it comes down to for me because I am a big believer in two things. One, the deep path safety role impacts, alters, changes the way defenses play; defenses are, changes efficiency of defenses across the board. Every defense I see with a good deep path safety seems to be one of the better defenses in the NFL. I can't find too many who aren't operating that. Last year, some of the, mo- some of the highest graded and best deep half safeties were Anthony Harris on one of the best defenses in the NFL, the Vikings. Uh, I'm sorry, Earl Thomas on the, on a Ravens defense that over the second half was one of the best, if not the best in the NFL, the best deep half safeties seem to be playing at least in my mind for some of the better teams. Um, so now not only do I view it as an important position, I also believe it's one of the scarcest positions in the NFL. They're extremely difficult to locate in the draft. And so for me, it's not worth passing. Now, I think the giants, there is a world where the giants can go out there and spend big money, especially with Janoris Jenkins now, off the books, especially with Landon Collins, off the books that was a guy who if they had signed him one year earlier when they liked him before all the drama in the locker room that they believed he was kind of a part of the you know people don't realize part of the reason they moved on from Landon is because he's tied in with all that Odell stuff that they didn't like going on with the culture um and if you know they didn't pay Landon though and they didn't pay and they're not paying George Norris. so I do believe there's room Nick for two big contracts in that secondary especially when you consider they don't have to pay Peppers yet and they don't have to pay Baker yet so if you go out there and you get Byron Jones and you get Anthony Harris, you sign him to a big deal at DPAC to play your DPAC safety. Simmons is going to get franchise tag for the Broncos, so he's off the market. But even if you go out and get like a McCor- uh, I'm sorry, a Byron Jones and then a McCordy on a smaller, shorter deal, but you know, top of the money, top of the market money, who cares? You have the cap space. I think you got to do that. I. I- there's guys I like in this class, Nick. This is a pretty good safety class. There will be guys that I like at, at with that second-round pick. There's probably maybe going to be a guy I like there with that late third, Nick. But guess what? There's so many positions I want to take there with that second-round pick. There's inside backers I love. There's centers I love. Maybe a tackle I love. Maybe an edge I like there. A bond, whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is to avoid having to. Go into the draft and get one of these Ashton Davises or one of these small deep half safeties you hope translates to the NFL, but you know he's only going to be a buck 90, 200 pounds, maybe injury prone, maybe doesn't tackle well at the NFL level. Instead of taking that chance, Nick, with an early second round pick, I want to take it for one of these proven deep half safeties like Anthony Harris or McCourty, who rarely, if ever, hit the market and get it settled there. And because of all uh, all of what I've said, Nick, to me, it's the most important thing they can do this offseason. That and sign Byron Jones. Those are the two signings I would make right away. A combination of Jones, McCordy, and Harris. Any two of those three, uh, obviously with Jones being one of them. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, and that, that would be the upgrade. I actually just did an article on uh, for Big Blue View on late round safeties that may be available that could help the Giants. And I had guys like Jeremy Chin on there. And the one that uh, yeah, jumped yeah, out to and- me. Yeah, I really like Jeremy Chen coming out of Southern Illinois. He really showed up well down in Mobile, but it was uh, Jordan Fuller from Ohio State. Now, he's going to be around, and he shows a lot of range. He's one of those rangy kind of players, really, really good athletes, but he's just kind of like hesitant against contact. But he's somebody that the Giants could draft late, late in the draft, possibly land him, and then maybe they can harness that, that the ability to kind of play sideline to sideline. It's just, I'm just a little bit worried about his tackling. But, um, anyways. I had a little – just like going back through film, I've been watching a lot of film and stuff, and I should start putting clips up on Twitter and stuff like that. But what if Jordan Love has that capability to actually play Deep Half? Yeah. There have been times where I saw him explode and just go downhill really, really quickly and shows like such a fast ability to kind of plant and drive and accelerate like all those foot speed all the kind of athletic traits that you look for in a deep safety i know there's a lot more to playing that position than just that but he he seems to possess the athletic ability well maybe he just because it kind of took him a while to kind of break into the lineup anyways maybe he just didn't have that mental side of how to like play center field and how to judge angles and do all those kind of things but maybe he possesses the skill set to where he can like learn that So I was thinking, what if if Julian Love is a player that could potentially be worked out in that position if the Giants do not land anybody in free agency or in the draft?
1: Well, I think that's ultimately what they would try to do if that were the case. My concern coming in, Nick, would be you have a guy like Love who played boundary and slot at Notre Dame, did not play much deep, half, played a very little bit of that role. Um, so versus a guy like Anthony Harris who's been playing it for however long and is playing now at a high level for multiple years or a guy like McCordy, who has been playing it for however long and been playing it at a really high level for even more years than Harris and you look and compare those two things and it's like okay we, yeah it could happen with love but do I want to bank on that because if not they're in another position where they're giving up third and 17 48 yard touchdown passes against the Lions that totally lose them games and it's just I don't know how much longer you can watch bad, poor, deep, half safety play and not, you know, want to just say let's end this once and for all and get a guy like Anthony Harrison here, who's still young or even McCourty for a little stopgap solution and then draft a guy like you mentioned, like a Chin in the later rounds or whoever. Now Chin's moving up the board now, but you know, uh, like Fuller or, who, or whatnot, who they believe, or even just continue to develop Love while having a player like that and at the same time, you know, playing Love in, in other roles. So. I don't know. For me, it's more of an urgent thing that I think it, I would prefer to not take that chance. I think Love can do it. He obviously showed showed it at times. The Bears game, he made some big plays from the deep half. You know, It's not like we, we both believe he kind of could have that skill set based on what we've seen. And I, and like you're saying, if you're seeing it on film, that's a great sign. I'm just not sure if it, the time to take that chance is now. But maybe it is because like, like we've said throughout the podcast, Nick, there's so many positions to fill. Something is going to get missed this offseason. That may be it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that that's the direction they go. But if the Giants get outbid in free agency, and if then it's like, hopefully there's some, you know, something to glean some kind of light that we can glean from Julian Love playing there. And if he was able to execute that at a high level, that would just be awesome. But could be a glass half full right now. That kind of thinking. But last question, Dan.
1: Okay, we save the best for last.
2: All righty, ladies and gentlemen, what needs to happen for the Giants to make the playoffs?
1: Okay, this is the big question, right? Can this team get out of this deathly hole they've been in over the last several years? They had the number two pick and the number six pick, and they just lost game after game after game. Um, And now how do they get out of this, right? How do they get out of this hole they found themselves in? I think for me... It starts with being very aggressive in free agency, and I don't see any reason not to be. I'm not a believer that the salary cap is really a thing. It's pretty much made up. We've talked about this in the past. It's not made up. It's a, it's a real thing. Like Obviously, you're going to have situations where the Saints aren't going to be able to go out and spend every free agency because they kicked the can down the road. But then you have to 2014 where the saints were over the cap heading into March and somehow managed to sign Jairus bird to the richest safety contract in NFL history. And you, you, you scratch your head and you say, wait a second, there's a salary cap, right? I thought the saints were 32nd in cap space. How do they do this? And then you, Look back over time, you see a lot of these teams, the Cowboys, have upgraded and re-signed every single one of those core offensive linemen. Ezekiel Elliott, they're going to tag, they're going to re-sign Dak, and they're going to tag Amari Cooper. It's like, you you walk through all these examples, Nick, and you start to realize that the way that this cap can be maneuvered by capologists like Kevin Abrams, who actually does a really good job for the Giants with their cap, and is why the Giants have been big spenders throughout their history, and they continue to, they can get a guy like Nate Solder just you know, one or I guess two years after, or yeah, two years after spending hundreds of millions on Vernon Harrison and Janoris Jenkins because of guys like Kevin Abrams, who knows how to work the cap. You factor all that in Nick with the fact that, you know, like we talked about Jones and Barkley on the rookie deals. It's a no brainer for me. So it starts with being aggressive and free agency. We've talked about the targets. We'll talk more about them later, Nick. And then for me, It comes down to hitting those first two picks in the draft. They need immediate contributions from those top 35 picks. If they can get that and couple it with a really aggressive free agent plan and have free agents who come in and hit like the free agents hit for the Packers and revamp that defense. If you revamp the defense and free agency and you find a playmaker like Simmons, number one, or and a center who comes in at number two or something like that, or you get, you know, a good bond in round two and an offensive lineman in round one, or you trade back, whatever it may be, you get impact players in the draft with those first two picks or with those first three picks. If they trade back, cause they'll get another high picnic. That's the plan for me. That's the progress. That's the, that's the path towards the playoffs. How about you?
2: I a hundred percent agree that. And it's just the further development. You have a new coaching staff coming in. So the further development of these younger players whose potential is high, but maybe has just not the potential has not been reached yet. So you're talking about, you know, Zimenez, who's still young, Uh, Dexter Lawrence, who's still young, but mainly Lorenzo Carter, Will Hernandez, and the new gap power scheme we were talking about, and then BJ Hill, players like that, and I feel, like you said, you have to address a lot of these holes that are on the roster, they might not be able to address them all, but you have to at least go out, spend big money, draft well, and nail those draft picks, and have those rookies be impact players, and still kind of... Bring in other pieces that can just play really solid roles. The Giants signed Marcus Golden last year. No one expected 10 sacks out of him, and he was able to develop it. The Giants can go out and do things like that again and kind of nail low – like even Mike Remmers. He was able to start, what, 14 games, and he made $2.5 million. And I know he wasn't excellent by any means, but he wasn't – he was better than the left tackle the Giants had. I know that's not saying much, but – I feel the Giants can go out and land some of those veteran prove it deals, and those guys play to the level of what their potential could be. That's another way to kind of get them there in a division that was really, really weak uh, this past season. Doesn't mean it's going to be weak again. A lot of turnover in the NFL, but the Giants could be on the up and up.
1: Yeah, it's going to. You know, there's a lot of factors that still have to come into play for them to get there. And obviously, you didn't even mention the development of Daniel Jones. That's probably the biggest one, right? I mean, he can mask a lot of deficiencies on a, a lot of different positions. So we'll see where that goes, but it's going to be an exciting offseason. It basically already is. And we're not even started yet. So keep it locked in with the big blue banter podcast. If you want to interact with us more, you can follow us on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. Nick, tell us where they can follow you. Yes.
2: I'm at Nick Falato. That's it. Just N-I-C-K-F-A-L-A-T-O.
1: So go ahead. Continue the conversation with us on Twitter. If you want to show your support for the Big Blue Banter Podcast, if you like it, tell your friends about it. Tell your family. Tell any Giant fan you know. If you talk about the Giants on a message board or on Twitter or anywhere, spread the word. Talk, tell us, tell them about the Big Blue Banter Podcast. And you could also help us by downloading the podcast on iTunes if you listen there or wherever you listen. Make sure you hit the download button. That's the key subscribe give us a rating and review on itunes the rating and reviews on itunes have been awesome thank you to everyone who has done that that really helps us grow the show and get us in front of more giants fans we wanted the show to grow organically uh, but we also want you know help from our listeners because that's basically the best way we can get you more content and better content in the future so as we move forward keep it locked and loaded here uh, and we'll we'll talk to you soon